Chapter 7 Grace So I began to settle back into my life, reborn in a way, and ready to move forward. I was still looking for the right one, the one that I was meant to be with, the one from my dreams. Dan had been like an angel to me, and I knew that I could not deal with the pressures of living in his world. It was better to keep him as my angel than to give him the opportunity to fall from grace by continuing to see him when I knew in my heart that I could not return his feelings for me. It was around this time, on a typical school day, that included me not wanting to be in class and looking for any reason to leave, that some devastating news broke. There had been a failed attempt made by the U.S. military to rescue the American hostages being held in Iran. This failure was taken hard by the faculty and students at Frankfurt American High School. After all, these were students who were the dependents of the American military and State Department personnel and their international allies. These were families that had close connections to other families stationed all around the world. There were also international students from every walk of life. I loved the inclusivity of it all and the multicultural feeling of being in Frankfurt. But on this day, it was about to feel exceedingly small indeed. It was less than an hour after the news had broken that the school officials called for a rally in the gym to update the students on what happened in Iran. As an American, I cared deeply about the situation, so I made my way to the school gym and walked through the double doors, only to be stunned by a wall of hate speech. Whatever the intention was on that day, to soothe and ease tensions, it had been inverted by fear and anger to become the direct opposite. Having learned the hard way to trust my instincts and intuition now more than ever, I didn't waste any time hanging around the shouting crowd. I saw someone that I knew and tried to get him to leave with me, but he wouldn't. He was near the door. It took almost no time at all for me to turn around and exit almost as quickly as I had entered. No, I wasn't going to listen to that shit, I thought. How was it helpful for adults to stand up on a stage in the gym shouting angry words and slurs about Iranian people, words that included that they should all die? No. This was not a reflection of myself, and I was not going to add my energy of presence to it. I exited the gym, leaving behind the energy of self-perpetuating hatred with the automatic slamming of the door. I didn't know who was on the stage at that moment, but I was happy to leave it all behind, guilt-free, to look for someone to go to the B-Bank Park instead. For reasons that I did not fully understand, I began roaming the empty halls instead of exiting the building. It was almost like being pulled on a string. I made my way up the stairs to the second floor and felt drawn into a higher perspective through another door. As I entered the room, I could hear that the shouting down below was quieter because someone else was speaking. I had stumbled into the wings of the theater for stage productions, but I was not alone. I had walked in only to find the softest, sweetest, kindest girl in her cosmopolitan best, sobbing, her face red and swollen with feelings that could not be named. There, sitting atop a stage prop of some kind, was Efsara, the single only Iranian student in the entire school, a girl no less than I. Her deep brown eyes and lashes flooded with tears, looked at me in desperation, 
as my heart felt something for her that I could not name or explain as compassion alone. Her beauty was swept away in her grief at being the sole subject of so much hate, rising up like heat from below. Somehow, it made the schoolgirl even more beautiful as she looked to me with searching eyes and found her only ally in the entire school looking back at her. What could I say to assuage all that hate? Nothing. I could say nothing. Instead, I listened as she spoke to me, gasping for breath through her tears. That is not my family. That is not my friends, or my uncles, or aunts, or my cousins, she cried. We are not all like that. We would never do that, she pleaded with me, referring to the atrocities that were being listed by the speakers down below as we listened above in the wings, not unlike two ethereal beings floating above chaos. Each time that the speakers would itemize an atrocity, it would be countered by another atrocity of suggested retaliation against the Iranian people. The speakers were illustrating very clearly the point that Mahatma Gandhi had made. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. I was 16 and I could see this. I wondered why on earth those down below could not. It seemed crystal clear to me that this kind of strategy could not work and was obviously the wrong approach. Now I had something more pressing facing me the soul of a girl from Iran who needed immediate consolation. I spoke as a mother to her dearest child. They don't understand. Don't listen to them. They are angry. They don't get it. I know that you are not like that and that your family is not like that. They are ignorant. You can't allow them to hurt you. I understand. The expression on her face shifted to one of surprise and relief. She was heard. She was understood. She was honored. She had no need to defend herself with me. I stepped a little closer to her as she began to say, pointing at the crowd. But as more angry words drifted up from the stage down below, I stopped her again. Don't listen to them. They don't understand. They aren't talking about you. They are talking about the terrorists. It was obvious to me that not all Iranian people were terrorists, just like not all American people were ugly Americans. I was proof of that. It made no sense to revile an entire culture based upon the horrific behavior of its worst members. She stopped crying and began wiping the tears away from her eyes and face. I asked her if I could give her a hug. She said that yes, I could. I put my arms around her and just loved her in that moment, giving freely to her all the comfort that I could. Knowing that all the comfort in the world was not enough to silence what she was hearing, I asked her to leave with me and offered to walk with her to her home. She thanked me and said that she was going to meet her father and that she wanted to stay there for a while to calm down alone. I held her hand for a moment, looked into her eyes, and asked her if she was okay. She assured me that she was, and that it was all right that I go on without her. I told her to take good care of herself, and she told me the same. I turned to leave, so that she could be alone again and collect herself. I walked right on out of the school, leaving behind the anger and fear, replacing it with love and comfort. I headed through Grunenberg Park and across the bridge to the B-Bank, 
where I found none of the usuals waiting for me, just an empty hill. I sat down and looked over the scene below. The fountains, the greenery, the neat little pale pink paver path that wound its way around the pond. It seemed an empty day to me, a day of sadness and despair. I did not ponder my usual conundrums at that time. I didn't want to contemplate that several million Jewish people and those of other races had been put to death and treated as less than human in this very country. It was completely unfathomable and staggering to the imagination as to how something like that could ever happen here where I was now living, or anywhere. It happened in this very place. It was unspeakable, but needed to be remembered so that it would not ever happen again. I sighed and let down my guard, going internally, feeling the breeze as the afternoon was fading and the clouds were gathering. I had just witnessed how easily people could fall prey to a debilitating condition called hatred, held hostage by their own fear and doubt. Of course it was wrong that hostages were taken, and of course it was wrong that people were killed. I was taught that killing was wrong. It was right there in the Ten Commandments in the Bible. It seemed so obviously wrong to me to take a life, any life. All life has value. All life seemed sacred to me in some way that I could not define by any contemporary standards that I currently knew. All of life was deeper, bound together by an invisible web of connection. So why did people behave like idiots when the answer seemed so blatantly obvious to me? We should all find a way to live together in some kind of unity, in peace and harmony, sharing what we each had to help the other to better all of our lives. In the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. If people could be unified in their hate, then why not be unified in their love for their brothers and sisters around the world? It seemed to me that we all needed this so much more than the useless machinations of war, which served absolutely no purpose at all other than to kill and traumatize people who could be living happier lives. I read the Gospels and the words of Jesus echoed in my heart and mind, Love each other as I have loved you. It was so clear and seemed to be so very misunderstood. I felt somehow more alone than I had ever felt before, still recovering myself from a trauma that was like a distant echo down a hallway in my mind. I was angry with him for it, but the one who was angry needed solace. I wondered where Joshua was, because he was an obvious choice when I wanted to be close to someone. He was nowhere to be found. As I was getting ready to get up and leave, someone slipped through the very Alice in Wonderland type hole in the fence behind me. He walked down to where I was sitting on the grass, now pondering eternity.